let's, uh, we're going to look at 2 Peter tonight. We're going through the book of 2 Peter. How many of you have been listening to the radio this week, the radio show? Boy, have we gotten feedback on that. That has really, uh, we've gotten a lot of tape orders and people calling in, and, and uh, it's amazing from everywhere. And uh, this Second Peter series is, of course, going to go on the air as well, and we're thankful for the outreach that God's given us on the radio. We're going to continue in Second Peter tonight. We're in chapter 1, and we're going to begin with the first, with 13 and 14th verses. And so I know I have you stand a lot. Boy, we keep you in shape in this church. Let's stand once more, and I want you to read the first two verses with me, and we're going to continue, and we're calling this tonight, Stir Yourself. Stir Yourself Up. How many of you from time to time need to be stirred up? All right, let's read chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 together. Yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Bless it to our hearts. I pray for revelation. I pray that, Lord, you will build us up in the faith and you will give this people understanding and knowledge and insight and wisdom and that we will begin to cultivate and practice and grow from the word you're bringing. We thank you, Lord, for what you spoke through St. Peter, and we pray in Jesus' name that it will touch us right where we live tonight and change us in Jesus' name. Will you say with me, I receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save my soul. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you look good in your tent tonight. <laughs> All right. Let's see what this is talking about now. Notice uh, I'm trying to underline in the verses that we quote the words that I'm going to focus on. And, you know, these words I tell you all the time, but this is a translation out of the Greek language. The, the Greek language is so much more colorful and multifaceted than English. And uh, it's a beautiful thing just to do a little word study in, uh, from these verses and bring out what Peter was thinking when he, when he wrote these things down in Koine Greek. Very important. Very important. It's a, it's a blessing. So when he says something as, as simple as right, yes, I think it is right. Let's look at that. Right means the Greek word was translated from a, or this or right was translated from a Greek word, meaning to render to each his due. I think that it's right, said Peter, to render to each his due. It was Peter's solemn duty to stir up his readers. Yes, I think it is right. Now, I want to stop right there for a second. I believe God puts a right on all of us. I think all of us ought to have something inside of us in the purpose of God for our lives where it's our solemn duty to do something. It's our solemn duty. You know, I was, uh, uh, we got a letter from a man who lived uh, in Humble, Texas, right outside of Houston. He was going through Dallas and he turned on the radio station and he heard me say these words. There's something you need to do and you need to do it now. And we were teaching in Jude. And he said, I've been praying about a ministry that I felt that God wanted me in. And when I turned across the radio dial and you said, you know, there's something you ought to do and you ought to do it now. He said, it was like the Lord just grabbed me by the throat. And he said, 
what I had been feeling that I was supposed to do, now we have begun it. And he said, thank you for the radio broadcast. And I'm telling you, folks, the Word of God is powerful. And Peter said, there's something that there is a right on me. There's, a, there's something that, that I need to be doing that when I do it, it's going to be rendering to other people what God has put on me to minister to them. It's, it's the right. It's a right. He says, it's my solemn duty as for me to stir you up in the things of God. Stir you up. Now, tent refers to his physical body. Paul also referred to his body as a tent. Let's read 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4 together. Can you read it with me? For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they'll be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven. God made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Glory to God. Let's keep on reading. He, sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack. And we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. The Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. Isn't that good stuff? So I like that. The day's coming when these old tents are going to move. God's going to fold these tents up. And how many of you can say that's a great day coming? He's going to fold these tents up, and we're moving. And he says sometimes when we think about it, we can hardly wait for that day. We're going to put off mortal and put on immortality. We're going to put off what has been perishing and put on imperishable. We're going to move from one location to another. And when we move, it's going to be with a different tent, a glorified tent. So this bag of flesh we carry around all the time, it's temporary. It's going to be changed. And what a great day that'll be. No more cancer, no more heart disease, no more headaches, no more extra strength, etc. No more doctors, no more annual physicals. None of that because we're going to be in a glorified body that is absolutely immune to sickness, disease, and death. And so these tents are going to change. Amen? No more working out to try to keep them in shape, and no more feeling bad that you don't work out to keep them in shape, because they're all going to be in shape. All right. Now, Peter also used the word that we, that we translated, the Greek word we translated tents from in another place, just to give you an idea of what he was thinking. In Matthew 17, 4, you remember the story when Peter was there with James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I love this. It says, Peter, not knowing what to say, said. How many of you know people like that? They don't know what they're saying, so they say. You know, if you don't know what to say, don't say. But Peter, not knowing what to say, he said. And here's what he said. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, same Greek word, same Greek word they got tents from. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Shelters comes from the same Greek word, same word. 
So he said, let me build you a tabernacle. Same word. So your body is the tent of the living God. He has temporarily made his home in your body. It's a tent. It's a house. It's a tabernacle. God doesn't dwell in buildings like this anymore. The only time you sense God in a place like this when you walk in is because he is flowing out of his people. And so you walk in, you feel the presence of God. You sense the Spirit of God. That's not because He's dwelling in a building. There's nothing spiritual about brick and mortar and wood and steel. Nothing. You sense God in a place because He is flowing out of His people. That's where He lives. He lives in you. He's made His tabernacle in you. Your body is the temple, the shelter, the tent of the living God, of the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter said, he said, I, I, I've taken it upon myself. My burden is to be a reminder to you people to stir you up. Now, the phrase stir up means to wake up, to awaken, to arouse. In this case, it is to arouse the mind, stir it up, render your mind active. Peter is saying this, I'm going to keep on rousing you up. He would arouse their minds to action by reminding them of the truth they had learned from the Word of God. So Peter, we know, when you take seminary courses on different books, you'll come across Simon Peter, and here's what you're told. Peter has been known as the apostle of remembrance. He's the apostle of remembrance. He's the one who was always saying, I want to remind you. Let me remind you. Oh, let me bring to your mind, and let me remind you about what you're inclined to forget. And by doing that, I'm going to stir your mind up. I'm going to stir you up in the things of God. How many of you have noticed that we are very inclined to remember what we should forget and to forget what we should remember? Have you ever noticed that? You remember everything anybody ever did against you, but you forget the basics of the teaching of the Bible. So Peter says, I'm going to remind you all the time. I'm going to stir you up. Every preacher and teacher of Scripture should constantly be in the Word in order to bring up fresh, new truth with the anointing of heaven upon it. Every preacher or teacher worth their salt should live in this Word so that they can minister fresh truth to you with the kiss of heaven on it so that when you hear it, it speaks to you, it stirs you, it sets your heart on fire, it, it, gets, you, it gets you stirred up. I'm going to tell you, God a long, long, long time ago gave me an incredible, um, a very, very strong desire for the Word of God. I studied all the time. Kathy even makes fun of me. Even at night when I should be relaxing, uh, I do relax. And to me to relax is to study the Word or something that has to do with the Word or something that I can place in a message down the road that will help you to understand the Word. I dig in it all the time. Somebody told me once, uh, they knew of a preacher, several preachers as a matter of fact, who just had a Rolodex on their desk. And depending on the time of the year, they'd just flip through the Rolodex and pull out the message they preached the year before or the year before and just preach the same old word and never studied, never prayed, thought they had it down, doesn't really matter. I'll add a few, uh, a few up-to-date events uh, uh, to make it more, uh, more timely, but the basic message has been in my Rolodex for years. And If it's Easter, I just go to Easter and pull the message out. If it's Christmas, I do that. And I thought, what a tragedy. 
Because if you'll just study the Word of God, and I say this in all humility, it's like popcorn in a microwave oven. I mean, you, you, you get into it, you start thinking about it, and pop, 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 it starts coming alive. And it talks to you. And, and you'll catch fresh truths. And I've noticed that if you'll feed people the Word of God, they'll come. But they want stuff that is fresh. And you can tell when it came out of the oven or out of the grave. Amen? There's also the need, though, to repeat the old truths. The blood, the cross, repentance, heaven, hell, which the saints should always keep in mind. Much of these old truths have not yet been put into practice, and repeating them gives the Holy Spirit another chance to make it real by experience. So we share fresh messages, and my pattern for years and years and years in pastoring is on Sunday mornings, whatever God has spoken to me that week, I minister it, and it's usually topical. But on Wednesday nights, I go through the old truths. These books, just like this, the blood, the cross, the resurrection, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the Bible is the Word of God, heaven, hell, judgment day is coming, the old truths that we tend to forget. And I want to stir you up so that you're always walking around stirred up. You ought to be always stirred up. What you got, what's, what's got you so excited? Well, I just came out of church. I'm all stirred up. You know, God didn't intend for us to leave church looking like it was an hour badly spent. He wants us going to the nearest restaurant after church, stirred up. He wants us going home, stirred up. He wants us waking up Monday morning, stirred up. Well, what stirs us? Well, God gets into our spirits with the teaspoon of faith, and He stirs us up by the Word of God. Peter said, as far as I'm concerned, anybody under my teaching, I'm going to have them stirred. You can stir or you can be stirred. I've preached to both. I'll take the stirred. The stairs. <laughs> but the stirred go out of church going, hallelujah, glory to God. I'm excited about Jesus. I want to touch somebody for God. I'm excited about the things of God. I want to seek the Lord with all my heart. Say with me, stirred. You're supposed to be stirred. Well, I've been a Christian 30 years, Pastor. I just don't, it's kind of settled down for me. No, you've gone lukewarm. You, need, you ought to be hotter than us. The only thing I like to hear taught or preach is what stirs me. Stirs me. I want to be stirred. Amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you look stirred. <laughs> Look at what Jesus said about teachers of the Word of God. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 13, 52, Therefore every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. That's the way any teacher ought to do. You ought to bring out new treasures, new revelations, new truths, fresh stuff, a now message, but you ought to also reach in and bring out things old that we need to hear over and over again. And those old things stir us. This is why Kathy loves hymns, because those hymns bring out the old truths that never pass away, and they stir you. Amen? They stir you. Now look what Peter says, shortly I must put off my tent. Literally from the Greek it reads, quick is the putting off of my tabernacle. Quick 
is the putting off of my tabernacle. Putting off, I've told you, uh, taught you about this, put on, put off. Putting off is a metaphor from putting off a garment. I've come to realize in my journey with Jesus that so much of the Word of God and so much of our walk is something that we apply by faith. A lot of times, I think a lot of people wait for an emotion to come and slap them upside the head and put them in a headlock and make them feel it. But I see that Paul had a favorite phrase he used over and over again. Put on Jesus. Put on the new man. Put on Christ. Put on, put on. And put off the old man with its deceit and lust and so on and so forth. And it's the same thing here. I'm about to just put off my tent like you take a coat off and hang it in the closet. And that's how you die. He said, I'm not far away. I'm an old man now. And I remember what Jesus said to me about my death. And I can tell you that quickly comes my putting off my tabernacle. It's coming quickly. Now notice he said, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me No doubt this refers to Jesus' prediction of Peter's death. John 21, 19, Jesus said to Peter, I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he commanded Peter, follow me. Now, in this second letter, Peter is old, and he's remembering Jesus' words. And we know by church tradition, church history, and I've told you this often, that Peter was martyred. They took him. They did tie his hands, just like Jesus said. They stretched out his hands. They commanded him to recant the faith, and he would not recant. And so they laid him on a cross, and they turned it upside down and and put it in the ground with Peter upside down, all the blood rushing to his head. He died an extremely difficult physical death, and he put off his earthly tabernacle that way. I'm I'm getting some feedback here, Danny. And he, he put off his earthly tabernacle that way. And so here he is, an old man, and he's remembering those words that have always floated around in the back of his head ever since Jesus said it. And remember that uh, Jesus told John, Peter turned around after hearing this about him and said about John, what about him? What about that guy? What about, this isn't fair. When are you going to put a heavy on him? And Jesus said, what is that to you? None of your business. You follow me. And I'm going to tell you folks, that's a word. Because it's very easy to feel like you're in a difficult time And you look around and it doesn't seem like others are in it with you or experiencing the same thing. And you say, what about them? This isn't fair. How come I'm the only one going through this? And Jesus says, what is that to you? You follow me. You just be sure that you follow me. Because I've got a call for you and I've got a call for them. Your call isn't theirs and theirs isn't yours. So you just be sure that you're following me. And I'm going to tell you something, church. It doesn't matter if you've got millions in the bank or nothing. What really matters is, are you in the middle of the will of God? Because if you're in the middle of the will of God and you've got peace, hear me on this one. You're rich. 
you're rich, if you're in the middle of the will of God and you're doing His will and it fits and it feels right and you're fulfilled, rejoice no matter what your outer circumstances are. Because that's all that matters. I'm telling you, I visit people, I see people all the time. I was this very week with someone who was going through a divorce, living in a beautiful home. I'm talking about a stunning home. But in one fell swoop, lost it all. All gone. All gone. And I look at that and I realize how quickly material things can change on us. But here's what does not change. You stay in the middle of the will of God. I'm happy. I am happy when I am studying the Bible, when I am preaching and teaching the Bible, and when I'm seeking God. That's when I'm happy. And it doesn't matter what's around me, but you take that away from me, and you don't want to be around this bear. Because I get miserable. But you keep me where I can study the Bible and where I can teach the Bible and pray and seek God. And I'm happy. And it doesn't really matter if things around me fluctuate or change. I know that riches consist of doing the will of God. That's why Jesus said, life does not consist in the abundance of things you possess. There is no life in possessions. There is life in God and in doing His will. That's where life is. That's life. So Peter remembered these words, and he knows my time is coming. Let's read the translation, can we? Indeed, I consider it due you as long as I am in this tent to keep on arousing you by means of a reminder, knowing that very soon there is the putting off of my tent, even as also our Lord Jesus Christ gave me to understand. Amen. And there's coming a day when you're going to put off your tent too. And I'm going to put off my tent too. And all that's really going to matter is, did I do what God had put on my heart? Did I leave a legacy of Jesus behind me? And that's all that's going to matter to you either. Amen? Let's read verse 15 together, can we? Moreover, I will endeavor to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. Peter's talking to him about going home, just like Paul did with Timothy. He said, I've run a good race. I fought the fight, kept the faith. I'm about to go home, Timothy. Here's Peter doing the same thing. These guys reached old age or martyrdom, and they knew when their time was coming, and they talk about it. Now, here's Peter talking about it coming. Now, the word endeavor means to bend every effort, to do your best. It means you're putting elbow grease to your faith. You're burning midnight oil. You are giving it all you've got, your faith. Always, where he says, always have a reminder that you're always going to have a reminder of these things. Always means on each occasion that you have need. Peter is the ever-ready apostle. He's ever ready to jump in and serve as a heavenly reminder of God's timeless truths every time they need it. He's ever ready. He's ever ready. He's ever ready. These things he's talking about reaches back to verses 5 to 7 in chapter 1. The Christian virtues. Can we say them again, everybody? Faith, divine energy or eagerness, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. 
Now, i got to tell you what's been occurring to me as I've gotten ready to teach this. Peter's going to go back to those virtues over and over again. He's going to say, here's my burden as your apostle. I want you to work these things into your faith. I want you to add them to your faith. I don't want you to putter out and spew and die spiritually somewhere back there, but I want you every day to be eager about adding these virtues to your faith. I mean, how often do we get up and say, how much money can I make today? What is primarily on our minds when we wake up that we're going to obtain that day? More in our 401k? A better job, better car, better house? Peter says, I want you to wake up and I want you to be thinking, how can I add to my faith virtue and a virtue, patience and a patience, godliness and so on and so forth? Because I as your apostle and burden that these things would be a part of you because if they're a part of you you will never fall Peter's burden for the body of Christ was that they would practice these Christian virtues never forgetting them after my decease is from the Greek word exodos exodos which means the road out the word comes into our language in the title Exodus. It's used only three times in the Greek New Testament. Only three times in the Greek New Testament. And here's one example. Luke 9:31. This is once again Jesus taking the disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And you remember the story. He's standing there and all of a sudden a light shines around him. And he begins to glow with a supernatural, unbelievable glow. And suddenly, standing on one side of him is Moses, and on the other side, Elijah. No wonder Peter was, <laughs> and not knowing what to say, he said. And, and they're conversing, Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Well, what were they talking about? Well, let's see. While he was in prayer, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became blinding white. At once, two men were there talking with him. They turned out to be Moses and Elijah. And what a glorious appearance they made. They talked about his exodus, his exit from life. The one Jesus was about to complete in Jerusalem. Jesus, Moses, and Elijah were standing there in the glory of God talking about his crucifixion and resurrection and his exodus out of this world. That's powerful stuff, church. Wow. I don't know what they said about it. Well, Son of God, Jesus Christ, Messiah of the world, you're, I talked about your coming, says Moses. I, I, I told him you were coming, a prophet like unto me. Here you are. And Elijah, I got raptured out. I, I got taken straight up in, a, in the resurrection power of God, and you're going to ascend the same way. Maybe something like that. But they were talking about his exodus, his way out of this life. Let's read the translation. Indeed, I will do my best also that on each occasion when you have need after my departure, you will be able to call these things to remembrance. Here's what Peter is saying, and I, gotta talk, I can talk to you as a pastor about this. He's saying, I'm going to remind you and remind you and remind you. Here's my hope. 
that when I'm dead and gone, you remember without needing to be reminded. How many of you have kids? Doesn't it bless you? How, how many of you can say, I've had to remind them more than once of some things? And how did you know when they were growing up, when Shazam, they did it without being reminded? That's what Peter is saying. I'm about to leave this tabernacle. I'm headed for my exodus out of this life. My prayer is that when I do, you'll do it without having to be reminded. You'll wake up and say, I'm adding to my faith eagerness to seek the things of God. And I'm adding to that patience. Patience is the pace of the race. And I'm adding to that brotherly kindness and love and all the things he mentioned, the eight virtues. I'm going to add them eagerly to my faith today without my apostle having to remind me. Amen. All right, can we read verse 16 together? For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Well, this is so powerful, and this is one that I like to quote to people who say, oh, this is just a fable, it's just a myth, it's just one of a number of things that people grab onto because they're, they need a crutch. I've gotten to where I say to them, well, at least I've got a crutch. You're just falling. But look at this. Cunningly devised, in a good sense, means to make somebody wise or to teach them. In a bad sense, cunningly devised means to invent, to play the sophist, to devise cleverly or cunningly. One commentator says it means artfully framed by human cleverness. Now that's what a lot of people in our day believe about our faith, church, that it was artfully framed by human cleverness. That's why I'm so glad that Jesus called fishermen. And those who were of no count, they were not intellectuals. They were not schooled. They were not learned. They were not impressive in that arena. They could catch a good fish. And Jesus calls them. And you read the book of Revelation and you stop and think for a minute that that book of Revelation was written by an old crusty fisherman who just knew how to throw that net over and bring in a great catch of fish and feed his family the next day. John writes this staggering book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that boggles the brightest minds today. And you read this 1 Peter, 2 Peter, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, you read them and, you, and, and these are the writings of intellectual giants. But they weren't. They were taught by God. So that there's no way you can attribute what they're saying to personal brilliance. These are not cunningly devised fables, the Christian faith. Fables is from the Greek word muthos, myths. We get it. We translate it to myths, muthos. Peter is likely referring to either Jewish myths or heathen myths like Greek mythology. How the gods came to earth. And you recognize some of these names if you read any mythology at all. Jupiter, Zeus, Narcissus, Orpheus, Hercules. All of these were the Greek gods and they knew of these myths. This was Greek mythology that preceded New Testament writings. Okay? And, and so they knew about these myths. 
He said, unlike those things, our gospel was not made up by Homer or any other Greek writer. They're not contrived. God did something. He sent his only begotten son to the earth. God wrapped himself in skin, became one of us, felt our pain, died on the cross, rose from the dead. His blood washed away the sins of every person who calls on his name. This is not... Can you imagine Peter, James, and John getting behind closed doors and saying, well, guys, we've had a great life fishing, but let's make up a religion. Let's make up a religion that'll win billions of followers and last for centuries. Where do we begin? Well, we can begin with the last fish I caught, because that's all I know. Uh-uh. One day they heard a voice calling them from the seashore said, follow me. You have been catching fish, but I'm going to teach you to catch men. And they started following. And they learned from the master. And so this is not a cunningly devised muthos, myth, fable. No. This is what they learned by the Holy Ghost. Eyewitnesses means spectator. This is no doubt referring to the three disciples who were allowed to see Christ's transfiguration on the mount. That's what they're talking about here. We are eyewitnesses of His majesty. Eyewitnesses. Majesty is magnificence. The visible splendor of the divine majesty as it appeared at the transfiguration was magnificent. It was magnificent. Can we read the translation together? For we did not follow out to their termination cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and personal coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but became spectators of that one's magnificence. We're just reporting to you what we saw and heard. <clears throat> Everybody being blessed tonight? You know, that's why I tell people, you don't need to whole, uh, know a whole lot to tell people about Jesus. You just need to have had an experience with him. You don't have to be a theologian. Most people who reach others in this world are not going to be professional preachers. It's going to be the common folk out there stirred up, having seen God do some things, particularly in their own lives, and it's got them stirred, and they're telling other people about it. I'll tell you what, give me a stirred up church more than an educated church any day. I'll get them educated. Give them to me stirred up. All of them in the cage stage. I want them in the cage stage. We'll teach them later, but I love zeal. Amen. Amen. Stir it up. All right. One more verse, and we're going to finish tonight. Can we read it together? For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, the word came is from a Greek word meaning to bear or to carry. Literally, there was born along. The voice of God was born or carried along by the excellent glory. God's voice came out of the excellent glory. He told those guys all sitting there shoveling gravel with their lower jaw as they saw Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. And he said, he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear him. Boy, you think they weren't? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. 
And Peter said, wow, all I can tell you is it was like that voice was borne along by excellent glory. <laughs> excellent is from a Greek word made up of megos, great, and prepe, it is becoming. Thus, that which is becoming to greatness, used to describe a great man, magnificent, splendid, full of majesty, sublime. The excellent glory refers to the bright cloud which overshadowed the company on the Transfiguration Mount like the Shekinah above the mercy seat. Here's Peter, James, and John. Just, you never know what Jesus is going to do when you're following him. because They're just following along and Jesus says, hey, Peter, James, and John, it's break time. Y'all come with me for a little bit. They climb up a mountain. What are we doing here? We're going to have a little talk, a little staff meeting. What's going on? All of a sudden, his face lit up like Moses when he came down from Sinai, and they had to put a veil over his face because they couldn't look at it, because it glowed with such bright Shekinah glory. All of a sudden, his face began to shine, and his garment became white as snow. And suddenly, there's two people with him, Moses and Elijah. So he says, Peter says it was the Shekinah glory. And we saw it. It was magnificent. It was splendid. It was unbelievable. But there it was. And we saw it. We're eyewitnesses. We're not making this up. Can we read the translation? For having received from the presence of God, the Father, honor and glory, there was borne along by the sublime glory such a voice, my son, the beloved one, this one is in whom I am well pleased. Mm. <laughs> now, one last verse and we're done. Let's read it. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, holy means set apart for God's use or something made sacred by the divine presence. One commentator writes, of all places to which special sanctity would be ascribed by Christ's followers, surely that would be the first to be so marked where the most solemn testimony was given to the divinity of Jesus. To the Jewish Christian, this would rank with Sinai. The Mount of Transfiguration was the Christian Sinai. To the Jewish person, it was Mount Sinai when Moses got the commandments and came down, face glowing in the dark. To the Christian, it's right here. Jesus' face glowed, and he spoke to his inner three, and the Shekinah glory was all over it. Let's stand and read the last translation, and we're done. Are you ready? And this voice we heard borne along out from heaven when we were with him in the holy mountain. Hmm. You know, I read this, and you can almost want to say take off your shoes because the ground where you're standing is holy ground. This is so real. Not a fable, not a myth, not a mother's grim tale. This was something God did. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how real it is, for how it touches us. And we thank you, Lord, that Peter is giving us his heart here. He knows he's about to die. And he's saying, children, 
add to your faith these virtues, even when I'm gone, and eagerly pursue the things of God. So we hear it, Lord, and we ask you to help us to have a heart for these things. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.